Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, the 17th of September, 2020. Today we continue in the prophet Isaiah, and reading the prophet sometimes can seem like a tricky thing, because if we just depend on our feelings and just reading uh, what we think of, the first thing that pops into our mind when we look at the text, sometimes it feels like we're reading something spoken to some culture so long ago and so far away, or other times with prophets, it feels like we're reading flowery language about something that's hard to understand that might happen, or if we believe the Bible will happen in the future. But I think if we're faithful and actually dig into the text and really try to understand what is being said, we actually find that the prophets are some of the most relevant books in the entire Bible. That no, they're not speaking just to some long ago, long forgotten cultures or speaking of mysterious future happenings. They are speaking truth from God that should affect our lives today. And as we read this next passage, I was struck by how relevant it is to our time. Now, Isaiah chapter 5 is a very famous parable. Even one we saw referenced in the parable that Jesus tells yesterday to rebuke the Pharisees, he talked about a vineyard. And I believe he was referring back to what everybody would have known in Isaiah chapter 5, where God compares his people to a vineyard, a vineyard that he has taken care of, a vineyard that he has cultivated and given every advantage. Look at verse 4. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? But then there's the disappointment. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And you can see, God, he has rescued this nation from Egypt. He has brought them into a promised land. He gave them King David. He he has done so much. He's given them the law, the prophets. What more could he do for his people? But the fruit continues to be wild and wicked and bad. And, And so then he prophesies that judgment will come. And then as the parable wraps up, he goes on into a list of reasons why the judgment is coming. And he uses the word repeatedly, woe, woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field. You know, talking about a materialism there, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry into the evening as wine inflames them. Woe to those, verse 18, who draw iniquity from the cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. And as he talks about what he is going to judge the nation of Israel for, again, I was struck at the relevance for today. Because as I read the woes of the prophet Isaiah against the nation of Israel, I kind of felt like he was maybe talking about the United States of America too. And even it was listening to a sermon on this specific chapter one time, I heard the preacher say something that I thought was was relevant where he was talking about God's judgment. And he said, basically, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And when you think even of those phrases, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, just feels like that is increasingly true of our culture. And certainly here with this reference to the vineyard, we're getting insight into God's relationship, his covenant relationship with the people of Israel. But we are also getting a look at what God hates, the things he will judge. And if we're honestly looking at that, that should concern us about our culture and our country. And we should be concerned that the the judgment of God will come against the unrighteousness of our nation. So what do we do? In the light of that, that, that's, you picked me right up there, pastor. That's how I wanted to start my day. Judgment is coming. Yay. So where do we look? Well, that's where we get into chapter six. And I I really found it interesting today how chapter five is the lead in to chapter six in Isaiah. Again, chapter six is a familiar chapter where Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord seated on the throne. And it describes the Lord as high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings with two. He covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Wow, what a description of God. And I don't think it's coincidental that these chapters are right next to each other. And even chapter six ends on somewhat of a discouraging note because Isaiah is commissioned to go. And that's where, you know, he says, here I am, send me. And he's commissioned to go. And God basically says, you're going to go and the people aren't going to respond. So you have a nation headed towards judgment and a prophet commissioned that people aren't going to listen to. Where's the encouragement in that? It comes from a holy God. That even though the world is off course, even though there are so many things going wrong, and even though there are people faithfully preaching the gospel, so many people just will not listen. Guess what? God is still on the throne. He is high and lifted up. To this day, the angels are still flying around the throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as Christians, we also understand this God, we understand our own sin. Like Isaiah, when he says, woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He knows, well, I have a big problem before this God, but then he also knows what it is to be cleansed. As the angel comes and and puts the coal on his lips and he is cleansed and his sin is atoned for. What keeps us going in the midst of a crazy world? We know who our God is. We know that he is on the throne. We know that he is holy and we know what it is to be convicted of our sin and also to know the wonder of being cleansed from that sin. And then we get into chapter 7, Isaiah doing some ministry and doing it with King Ahaz, who is very afraid about what is going on. Particularly, he's afraid of the, the Syrians and the, the nation of Israel. Remember, the kingdom has been divided at this point. You have the southern kingdom of Judah. That's where Isaiah primarily is. And then the northern kingdom of Israel. And Israel and 
and, and then the nation of Syria seem to be teaming up against Judah and everyone is afraid. And Isaiah tries to encourage the king saying, we don't need to be afraid because of who God is. And he says this very memorable line at the end of verse nine, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And then he gives a sign and it's the sign of Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And we know that's ultimately fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, who showed that God is with us, the babe that was born to the virgin and in was God in the flesh, God with us. And so I think as we read Isaiah today, we should see in chapter five and some of the woes should get us thinking, ouch, that's my country. That's where I live. We are on the same path as, as Israel. But I think if we look at chapter six, we should also say, but that's my God. My God is seated on the throne. My God has cleansed me from my sin. And then chapter seven, and this is his promise that God is with us. And he has shown that promise. I know what the sign refers to. I know that it is talking about Jesus Christ. And so then we don't need to be afraid as it gets to in chapter eight, it says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And that's where we want our focus to be on our God in the midst of a wicked world. We're trusting in our God. We are trusting in his promises. And even from here specifically, the promise of Emmanuel, which has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, so much to see really from the prophet Isaiah. And I think as we continue to read, we will see more and more from Isaiah and see, man, this is a gold mine. And let's dig in and find treasure together as we continue to read through the prophet Isaiah. Now, quickly, let's examine some of our other passages today. Hebrews chapter three, we've seen that Jesus is better than the angels. And now it's going to get that he is better than Moses. And again, he invites them to consider Jesus in verse one. And it highlights that he was faithful just as Moses was faithful. But Jesus is counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has honor than the house itself. And he shows their, their faithfulness and really exalting Christ's faithfulness. And he says, and we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So not only is our God seated on the throne, holy, 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 Jesus, our great high priest, he is faithful. And therefore, because he is faithful, we can hold fast our confidence to him. Our confidence is not based on ourselves. It's based on our faithful high priest, Jesus, the Messiah. And that's an encouraging thing from Hebrews today. So we look at Luke 20, we're continuing in uh, the, the next episode of Stump Jesus, and it makes it very clear that they, they understood the parable that he told that we looked at yesterday of the vineyard. They know that, that he is talking about them and they are angry. And it even says that they are trying now to catch him. They are lying to him, trying to get him to say something, uh, something wrong. And so they try to trap him in this question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
And they're hoping that he will say no. And then they can say, ha, look at you. Uh, Governor, did you hear what he said? He's trying to incite a riot and they can get him in trouble. And Jesus, again, masters the situation. And I think he gives an answer that would challenge everybody on every front. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And I think that's an answer that should echo throughout the ages and continue to challenge us. I mean, and there's so much we could go into the relationship of church and state and what are the proper roles of all of that. But many times, I think throughout history, people do try to short one or the other in the name of the other. That some people might want to say, well, I don't need to obey the state because I'm I'm following God. Or people might say, well, I'm going to follow the state and then therefore not be faithful to God. And I think we need to be challenged on both fronts. Are we obeying our civil authorities like the Bible would call us to? But then... Most importantly, are we honoring God like he deserves? And I think Jesus is, again, he's, he's calling out the Pharisees saying, hey, you know what? You guys aren't doing any of this. You guys aren't really honoring the, the governing authorities over you and you're not honoring God. May we be challenged and found faithful to do both. And then finally, I've really enjoyed reading through Psalm 107 and seeing all of these pictures of uh, God's deliverance. Today, it focuses on people who are down on a, on a ship in the sea in a storm. And I guess personally, I've never been in that situation, but my limited experience with ships, uh, I, get, uh, I get a little you know, motion sick pretty easily when I'm out there on the water. So I can only imagine on one hand, the nausea and on the other hand, the terror of being truly on a ship in a storm out in the sea, how helpless and hopeless that would feel. But that being a picture of, of God, you know, it says there, he, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. I think even that's a picture of what Jesus would literally do someday. And God, he, he has that power over our own lives. And I love the refrain that it keeps coming back to. We see it again in verse 31. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And that's something we should all do today. The steadfast love of God is not going to run out today. It's going to continue because it, 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 it is steadfast because he is faithful. And even though the world or our country might be crazy, He is still our God. He is still on the throne and he is always, has always been, will always be full of steadfast love. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.